So our title today is We Believe in the Holy Spirit, and Dan kind of stole my thunder a little bit by saying as a title, it doesn't necessarily, um, it doesn't necessarily sound particularly controversial, does it? I mean, you know, we believe in Canada. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, he exists. I, but I wonder if I can just unpack a little bit more why we're saying we believe in the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, who here believes in my grandparents? Okay, the rest of you, I've got a biology textbook in my bag. <laughs> But I, you believe I have grandparents, right? It's, it's logical, <laughs> theoretically, thank you, yeah. But actually, when you say you believe in my grandparents, you don't mean what I mean because you don't know them. So you don't know that my gran is this person who's incredibly sharp and yet really humble. And, you know, she, you'd never know that she's got this sharp mind because she always talks about herself as a bear of very little brain. Um, taking the Winnie the Pooh phrase. Um, you wouldn't know that my granddad was an international cricketer and the general secretary of Oxfam for a number of years, or that he was so stubborn that despite working for the NHS for 20 years, he refused to wear a hearing aid. These are all things that, that I know about my grandparents that you can't know. So when I say I believe in my grandparents, you know, I, I have much more to that than you can do. And for you, it's theoretical, and for me, it's knowing. And that's what we're after today. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, it's not sort of saying, oh, yeah, we believe there is a Holy Spirit, because, you know, 2,000 years of Christians have believed that. We know it's true. It's who is this Holy Spirit? What's he like? What does he do? So what? What, does it, what difference does it make to us? That's what we want to unpack today. And I want to just start by acknowledging that he's here. And I think we've all been aware of that in the worship this morning. But actually, even if we hadn't had a time of worship um, before I spoke, he's still here. And I'm so grateful for those who brought words of encouragement that have pointed us to what he's doing this morning, to the way that he's perhaps just breaking us a little bit out of a rut um, expanding our view of him, but he's here. So that's the first thing I want to say. The Holy Spirit's here. And, and he's here to serve us. And that is incredible, isn't it, when you think about it. The Holy Spirit um, describes himself as, among other things, the advocate, or the, the, the word paraclete in, in the Greek means somebody who comes alongside. It could be a, a good friend. It could be a lawyer in court. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is here to help us and to enable us, which is incredible if you think that the God who made the universe is doing that for us. Just to illustrate a little bit, though, one of the dangers that comes along with us realizing that. I, when you came here, hopefully somebody friendly put a cup of coffee or tea in your hand, and you might think, oh, the stewards, they're great. Do you know what? They show up at five to ten and make some coffee and serve it to us. Isn't that great? But actually, what you miss in all of that is that they show up here like an hour before that, and they spend lots of time doing all this stuff behind the scenes that never gets seen. But because they're serving... Most of that's invisible, and actually what you see is just the serving the coffee bit, or perhaps them taking the basket round during the service, and you don't see all of the rest of it. And I, I want to just suggest to us that perhaps we have a smaller view of the Holy Spirit than we should, because we see him serving us, bringing us words, um, encouraging us perhaps when we're feeling low, and we miss the cosmic part that the Holy Spirit plays in history. So I want to just expand our view a little bit to start with that. The Holy Spirit is throughout time. Right at the beginning of creation, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right back at the beginning, ready to move into action, ready to create. God is operating here right at the beginning of creation. And then right at the end, the book of Revelation, quite apart from the fact the whole book of Revelation is inspired by the Holy Spirit giving the Apostle John a vision, right in the last chapter in Revelation 21, you have the Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus. And this church age that we live in, the age since Jesus has been to the earth and before he comes again, this whole age in which Christians cry out, come Lord Jesus, that's a work of the Spirit in us stirring us to want the return of Jesus, stirring us to call out to Jesus, bringing the bride and the bridegroom together. Right at the bookends of human history as we understand it, the Holy Spirit is at work. Not only that, but throughout creation, throughout the whole of human history, not only did God create life, but he sustains life. Job says it like this, if it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to dust. If God withdrew his spirit, it would all just fall apart. He sustains us. The Holy Spirit sustains us. Just going to pick up there as a, as a sort of mention in passing that the word for spirit and breath in Greek, in Hebrew, in Aramaic are the same one. So quite often you'll hear about God breathing something and that's a connection there with, with the Holy Spirit being at work. Actually, throughout the Old Testament, we also have the Holy Spirit inspiring ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You have judges who were raised up to deliver people out of slavery. You have worshippers like David who are inspired by the Spirit to worship. You have craftsmen producing intricate work um, that was beyond their normal skill. You have prophets who foretell the future and also guide nations and shape nations. The Holy Spirit's at work throughout the Old Testament Actually, the Holy Spirit's at work in everybody, not just in those individuals that you read about. Romans 8, which we're going to read in just a minute, makes it really clear that actually without the Holy Spirit, we, we have no inclination at all to reach out to God. And there's no way we can really in any way please God without the Spirit. And so in some way, the Holy Spirit is at work right through the Old Testament. David gets it. He says, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He gets it. The Holy Spirit is everywhere, always at work. And of course, the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture as well. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, God-spirited, if you like. It's a reminder that, um, that the Spirit is speaking out, um, inspiring people, and they're writing it down, and that's our Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is at work throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, well... I was, um, I was in Greece a couple of weeks ago, and there was an American, uh, Australian chap, rather, called uh, Bill Vizialikis, who was um, preaching. And he mentioned in passing that the book of Acts would be a bit dull without the Holy Spirit. And I thought, that's a good challenge. I wonder what the book of Acts looks like without the Holy Spirit. I've got it here. It's, uh, it's this third of A4. So this is the book of Acts without the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven. Angels tell of the second coming. Uh, the replacement for Judas is chosen. Chapter 2, the believers met, listened to the apostles' teaching, prayed. Believers had possessions in common. There's no chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lie about selling their property, but they get away with it. (laughs) The apostles are released from jail by an angel. There's no chapters 6 or 7. Chapter 8, the church is persecuted and scatters. Philip leaves Samaria, goes to a desert road, sees a chariot going past, but nothing happens. 
Chapter 9, Saul, also known as Paul, is blinded by Jesus, but without the Holy Spirit, he never gets healed and doesn't do anything. (laughs) Tabitha dies. (laughs) Chapter 10, Cornelius sends for Peter after seeing an angel. Peter doesn't know what to do about this Gentile showing up and ignores him. (laughs) Chapter 11, the persecuted believers scatter further. Chapter 12, James is martyred. Peter's delivered from prison and Herod dies. And there is no chapter 13 onwards because from then onwards, it relies on what the Holy Spirit has done in sending Paul to the Gentiles, in commissioning him. And the, the, the gospel's never gone beyond the Jewish people, and it's probably barely gone beyond Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is at work throughout history. We need to get our minds expanded out of the Holy Spirit is the person who sometimes gives me a word on a Sunday morning, which is true, but it's like the serving the coffee. It's, you know, it's, it's one part of a huge work that the Holy Spirit is doing Okay, and then we get the different scales as well. So at the very beginning, we talked about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, about to terraform a planet. The Holy Spirit works on a cosmic scale. God speaks and there's light. The Holy Spirit's just hovering there, ready to do it. Then he works on a global scale, raising up nations, humbling others. I don't know if... um, if you sort of read some of the Old Testament um, prophets and, and the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you see that actually words that prophets speak change entire nations. Elijah has a, a chap come and visit him and say, this king, is he going to live or die? And he speaks a word to him which reveals that, that mess- in that messenger's heart, he's, he's going to assassinate the king, and Elijah knows it. And as a result of the word he speaks, a nation is totally overthrown. So the Holy Spirit works on a cosmic scale, on a a global scale. He works among groups of people. There's this group of believers meeting in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit says to them, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And so the people gather around them and they pray and they commission these guys and they celebrate their success and they support them and these guys come back every now and again and they say, here's all the stuff that God's doing. The Holy Spirit was at work in that group of people. And then the Holy Spirit's at work on an individual level, guiding us, steering us, encouraging us, strengthening us. And there's a key text for this and I want you to turn to Romans 8 if you would please. We're going to read the first 11 verses of this. If you haven't read Romans 8 for a while, expect that you will not immediately get exactly what he's saying because he says a number of things that take a good amount of unpacking and I'm not going to unpack every one of them this morning. Just take it as a challenge to go away and read it over a few more times. And for now, maybe just let it sort of wash over and pick up on some key phrases. Just to explain the therefore at the beginning, Paul's been explaining the gospel. The therefore follows on from the gospel, and in particular from a statement that he's just said where he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And therefore he goes, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then although your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. That's how the Holy Spirit works at an individual level, or it's one part of it. Giving life, giving us a different way to live. So we've just had a little bit of a kind of expand your view of who the Holy Spirit is. Bev shared that word earlier about God expanding our, our vision of, of who he was, not putting him in a box. I, I hope I've just expanded a little bit. There's more that could be said, but I want to say now, so what? What, is, what does he do? How does it affect us? And that's why we read this passage, Romans 8, because that's the starting point. The scripture encourages us not only to know who the Holy Spirit is, but to live by the Spirit. We just read here, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul says it again in Galatians. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a wonderful turn of phrase, isn't it? It implies so much about how the Holy Spirit is alongside us and we need to be listening to him and attentive to what he's doing. And So let us keep in step with the Spirit. We don't just want to know who the Holy Spirit is, but we want to embrace a lifestyle which is defined by our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, I want to suggest, first of all, the Holy Spirit gives us intimacy with God. Here's what the Spirit says to the church in Sardis. He says, here I am. This is in the book of Revelation. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We've just read that. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Corinthians. So rather than there being a physical meeting place that we have to go to, to meet with God, and we have to journey to Jerusalem, be a harder ask now than it was for the Jewish people for us to get over there. Rather than having to go and seek out a physical person, Jesus Christ, you can only be in one place at one time. We have the Holy Spirit in us all the time. God lives with us. God lives in us. And at any time, any place, we can speak with him. We can listen to what he's saying. We can know him. And this living with us, it's very different from just bumping into someone every now and again. You know, I could chat with you on a Sunday and, you know, maybe we might go for coffee sometime. But if you live with me, you see how I celebrate when our kids do well at school. You see what we do when a telephone call comes through with some bad news. You see how I relax You see what I do when I'm stressed and tired. You really start to know me. 
the Holy Spirit, obviously, he doesn't get stressed and tired and he doesn't get caught off guard by news, but he's with us when we get that way. He's with us when we experience those things. And because of that, we know God better. I want to give you a couple of examples of that. Um, on my birthday in 20, oh, no, 2003, I think it must have been, 2003, um, I was sitting in my bedsit in France and deciding whether or not I wanted to ask Caroline out. And I was just, I was just saying to God, look, God, is she the one? Because I'm done with this whole dating business. I'm just, I just don't want to do it again. Like, if, if, I, if she's the one, then I want to marry her and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is I did actually think of it like that. Anyway, never mind. That's another talk. <laughs> Thank you. But there was something of like, I, just, I don't want to go through this whole thing of like, you know, shall we, shan't we? Are we really made for each other? And so I just said to God, look, is she the one? And I sort of, I'd never crossed my mind, God might not just say yes or no. Um, but what he said to me was, well, what do you want? And that caught me off guard. And perhaps it doesn't catch you off guard at all. Perhaps that's exactly what you'd have expected. But for me, that changed my view of God. He said to me, what do you want? And I stopped and I thought, okay, well, I get a choice in this. Yeah, that makes some sense, actually, now I think about it. Um, okay. But I was pretty sure and I said, no, God, I, I want to marry her. I really do, and I'm prepared to commit. And, and it, all I can say is that it felt like God put an arm around my shoulders and gave me a huge pat on the back and just said, great, I approve, go for it. And so in that moment, not only was there intimacy built out of that experience of having God put his arm around my shoulders, and I, I can't describe it any other way. It, it, just, it felt exactly like somebody did that, but I was all alone on a dodgy sofa in a bedsit in France. But also, at that same time, God expanded my view of how he worked. And I started to realize that God, understanding God's sovereignty doesn't mean that he hands down orders like programming a computer or, or a robot for us to do. And, and really, obeying God is all about just getting those orders all the time. But that he wants us to rule our lives under the great high king and to have every decision we make submitted to God, but not expect him to make them all for us. And in that moment, I started to understand something more of God's character because the Holy Spirit was with me at a key moment. And I want to commend to you, reach out for the Holy Spirit in those moments. Another example, uh, many of you will know that a few years back, um, Caroline and I were processing uh, a whole load of uncertainty around Florence's condition. Um, at the time, we didn't really know what her prognosis was, and one of the possibilities was that she might have something called metachromatic leukodystrophy, which would have meant that probably about now um, she would be um, in hospital and at some stage in the next couple of years probably wouldn't be alive. And, uh, and that, thankfully, praise God, wasn't the, uh, the diagnosis. But we were processing all of that, and I was really conflicted as to what to pray for. I think I've shared... Um, on a Sunday before now, times when we prayed for somebody who had a brain injury, which everyone said they couldn't possibly recover from, and, and we saw them healed. And so part of me was going, oh, surely, God, you can heal Florence. And another part of me said, is that, is that what God wants to do? Do I really have faith that he will? And I, I was just in a bit of a quandary about what even to pray. And I went along to a student night, 
And a chap called Dave Smith, when we were praying together, just said, just, God just wants you to pray and take authority in your place as a father and pray for Florence. And so I walked home from the center of town and I was praying and the Holy Spirit met me with, in that moment really powerfully with, with two words which you'll have heard me um, say before if you've spoken to me at all about Florence. And God said these two things, you'll walk with her and you'll eat with her. And in that moment, again, not only was that intimacy of God was with me in that moment and he spoke to me at a key time, but also he showed something of his character to me because those words, they don't answer everything. They don't give me all of the, the map ahead, but they gave me hope. If I'm going to walk with her and I'm going to eat with her, she isn't going to be dead by the time she hits her fifth birthday. If I'm going to walk with her and I'm going to eat with her, there's, there's hope of improvement from where we were. And, you know, I don't think we've seen all of that yet. I think there's still more for us to see in those words. But God's faithfulness has come through again and again and again. And those of you who know Florence better know that she eats better than anybody with her condition should be. And she's able to walk with one of those walking frames. And she pulls herself along. And, you know, and maybe that will be the limit of it. But maybe, just maybe, God might do something more and actually allow her to stand up on her feet. And I don't know, but God is faithful, and he has shown himself faithful, and that is because his spirit has spoken to us at key times. And, and revealed what God is like. And there's so much more of his character that we don't know about. And this is just one story from, from my life. But you'll have your own. And I just want to encourage you, reach out to God. When you're celebrating, when you're going through hardship, reach out to God and hear what he has to say to you because in that process, you will understand God better and he will be with you and you will be resilient and able to withstand the storms of life. And goodness knows, if you look around at the world today, we need people who are resilient, not because they have worked themselves up to kind of, oh, we've got all the answers, because all the answers that we come up with as humans end up being total rubbish, really. What we need is people who are resilient because the Spirit of God is at work in them and they have hope for the future and they know that Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, is going to be the answer to everything one day. And in the meantime, he gives us his Spirit so that we can stand up straight, so that we can bear up under pressure and so that we can live a full life. That's what people need. I'm a fan of Tom Clancy novels. Don't know if I'm alone in that. Jack Ryan and all of those. And there's one which starts off with a scene where two counter-terror police are on an aeroplane and there's a failed hijack attempt. And in the process of the hijack, they realize that as the only two people on the plane who are allowed to carry a gun on the plane, they've both got them in their overhead lockers in their hand baggage. And I wonder, are we like that as Christians sometimes? We're in a, a world that is looking for answers, a world that desperately needs the restoring power of God. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. We were just reading that the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in our bodies. Have we got him stashed in the overhead locker? Oh, there if I need him. You know? We want to be ready with the power of God. Paul was able to say, you know, my God will supply all your needs. 
My God will supply all your needs. We were reading, I can't remember who shared that. Um, it was Dan, was it you, sharing about when we pray, if we pray in accordance with his will, he'll answer. He'll hear us and he'll answer. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Let's not stash him in the overhead lockers. Brother Yun came and visited Oxford a few well, probably, it was probably pushing 20 years ago now. I'm pretty sure it was here he came to. Brother Yun was one of the founders of the Chinese house church movement. And I remember him sharing a word, and I, I think it was an area celebration. I think it was with us as a group of churches. And he said, you people, you love the Holy Spirit. It's great. It's like you're loading yourselves up with dynamite. He says, but what are you doing afterwards? You're sitting around. He says, you need to go somewhere dark where the light is needed, and then pray that God would light it. I appreciate that picture has some connotations now that I don't think it did then. <laughs> but you get what he's after. He's saying, listen, all this power, you love, you love the Holy Spirit, and you welcome the Holy Spirit. And so many times when we pray on 10 a.m., by the way, you should come to that, it's great. So many times when we pray at 10 a.m. before the service, we just welcome the Holy Spirit. We say, do what you want to do. Your Lord's here. Do what you want amongst us. But what do we do with that? What do we do with the Holy Spirit when he does fill us and imbue us with power? Are we taking it out into the world and saying, God can do something about that situation? I speak to myself here. I hope this isn't sounding like I've got the answers because I wish I had some good testimonies about this. But do you know what? Some of my testimonies are three, five, ten years old because I'm not seeing this as often as I'd like in my life. but we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We've talked about intimacy. We've talked about power. I want to talk about how God shapes us. He shapes our desires. He shapes our priorities. He shapes our character. This is where, when we read in Romans 8 about living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit, this is what it means. So living according to the flesh, if that isn't a phrase that you find yourself using, I don't, um, it's, it, this is living to please yourself. Our bodies want food. Um, our bodies want comfort, rest, sex, all kinds of, you know, th- these are just desires of the body. And you know, they're not wrong. It's okay to want to be comfortable and it's okay to want rest and it's okay to want sex and it's okay to want food. But those must not be the things that drive us. If we live according to those, that's what Romans 8 says, no, no, that's not how we live. But what's the alternative? It's not, oh, just kind of just leaving those things to one side. The alternative is living according to the Spirit. And that means that we are in communion with the Holy Spirit, listening to what he says. And it says that those who live according to the Spirit have the mindset on what the Spirit desires. The Holy Spirit is about communicating what God wants for our lives to us. And if we tune in and if we make that a lifestyle habit and if we set our hearts on living his way and to please him, then the other things fall into their rightful places. And for some people, it'll be more food, and some people will be less food. Some people will be married, some people will be single. Some people might be rich, some might be not so rich. But all of that falls into place within what God wants for you. And in that process, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into that. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us daily, that's not why you do that job. You don't do it for the money. You do it because God's called you to those people. Because God's called you to affect this change in his world. And in that process, 
every time there's a, a jarring moment in which what we want in the flesh and what we want in the spirit come up against each other, there's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us. And as we soak in daily just saying, Holy Spirit, what is it you want? That also produces fruit. I don't think it's accidental that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is something that, slow, uh, that grows slowly and in good conditions. You know, you starve a tree and it will produce kind of little, you know, we, we saw some wild olive trees actually in Greece again. And, and if they're wild and not looked after, they produce tiny little things that size, which you can't really eat at all. If you cultivate them and take care of them, then they produce olives. The fruit of the Spirit comes from spending time in God's presence, from coming into the jarring moments where the flesh and the Spirit want different things and choosing the Spirit. And out of that comes love, that is self-sacrificial love, like Jesus Christ's love. And joy that isn't just happiness, but this is deep-seated and it takes root even in the most troubling of circumstances we can find joy. It's peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to be peaceful in this situation, but because the Holy Spirit has been producing fruit in me, I can be peaceful. Patience that says the 77th time, yeah, I'll forgive you. And I could go on. These fruit of the Spirit, they come because the Holy Spirit is not content to leave us just as our debts are written off, but now you're on your own. The Holy Spirit wants to make us like Jesus Christ. And he will succeed because he's the Holy Spirit. If he can make a planet, he can jolly well transform our hearts. (laughs) Jesus said this at the Festival of Tabernacles. He said, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. I want to ask us a question. Do we overflow? Are we full to overflowing? Do rivers of life flow out from us? The only thing I regret about having no PowerPoint is I had, had four little videos, and the first ones have just a little trickle. And, you know, when people talked about rivers of living water flowing out, the, the first thing I always used to think about that was, you know, it would just be, you know, oh, there's, there's a gentle trickle all the time, you know. That's great. I love it if there's just a gentle outflow of life from me to other people because of what Jesus is doing in me by the Spirit. But then I said, but, but is that all, really? <laughs> Do you know what? I was praying, I was praying that it would come back at this point. <laughs> come on, Lord. Okay. So look, this, we could say, yes, God, I want to there to be an outflow, a little trickle of the Holy Spirit out of my life. But you know what? God says, no, 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 come on, come on. How about this? How about a waterfall? You know, there's a, there's a good stream going on there. There's a constant flow of water. There's enough water there that you could wash and drink and do all the things you need. But are we content with that? What about a, what about a flood melt? What about if sometimes the activity of the Spirit, I don't want this just to be abstract, what if sometimes the, ab, the activity of the Spirit in us was sufficient, there was a, it, it felt almost out of control. Actually, I felt compelled to pray for this person because I knew that God wanted to heal them. And he did. I felt compelled to get out of my way to share the gospel with that person because they needed a word of hope. I remember chatting to a friend who God compelled them to go a particular way home. This is in France. And uh, went out of their way to go home and they encountered somebody who was on a bridge ready to jump. 
and they shared words of hope with that person. God compelled them. It was, it, it was like it was almost out of control because the Holy Spirit was at work in them. But then, what about this? What about Victoria Falls or wherever that is coming out of us? The Holy Spirit isn't bounded. We are bounded, but the Holy Spirit isn't bounded. It was Paul's experience that wherever he went, he preached the gospel, and, and it came not with wise words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Peter was so full of the Spirit that sometimes he would walk along the road, and when his shadow touched people, they'd be healed, is what we read. Or people would go and touch hankies against him and take them home, and somebody would be healed. Now, it's, it's not because they were magic hankies. It's because the Holy Spirit was so filling him that there was a, an outpouring Jesus, obviously our total model in this, was so full of the Spirit that a woman who had faith just came and touched his cloak. And without him even knowing it, power went out from him. And then he, then he realized, do we overflow? Do we overflow with the Spirit? Do you know, if you're doubting that God wants this for you, there's a wonderful passage, isn't there, where Jesus says, you know, if your son asks you for fish, will you give him a snake? If they ask you for an egg, will you give them a scorpion? And we think, oh, you know, this is great. God wants to give us good things. But he, he's really specific. He says, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's not just generally about God giving you nice things, although, you know, he does. He's a good, good, good God. But he wants to give us the Holy Spirit. And so we can have confidence if we ask that he will give us the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give it to us to overflow. And by this, I mean, you know, everybody, we read it in Romans 8, everybody who has believed in Jesus Christ, who's made him Lord and said, I give up control of my life. I want Jesus Christ to be Lord. I'm sorry for the wrong stuff I've done, and I want your forgiveness, please. Anyone who's done that has the Holy Spirit. But we read in the book of Acts that there is something much more that happens often linked with people being baptized in water. When they're baptized in the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit. And we know it's something more because people watching them can tell that something's happening. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and they're not even quite sure if the Gentiles are allowed to you know, be part of God's people. And as Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they, they notice, and they oh, goodness me, if God's doing this, how can we keep them? They must be in. How can we keep them from getting baptized in water? It's obvious when Philip goes to Samaria and lays hands on people there, um, <coughs> sorry, one second. When Philip goes to Samaria and, and, and prays for people there and, um, and shares the gospel with them, they believe, but they don't immediately receive that same experience of the Holy Spirit filling them sort of visibly. And Peter and John in Jerusalem hear about this and they say, well, let's go and they go there and they lay hands on and something happens and again we know it's impressive because the local sort of witch doctor guy Simon the sorcerer says can I give you some money so I can do that please so it must have been something actually visible and noticeable so when I say let's let's desire to be overflowing we already have the Holy Spirit but we can ask for more we can ask to be filled to overflowing And as we do, I think we'll lift our eyes off living for ourselves and living by the flesh, which is still a struggle for all of us daily. And we'll instead set our eyes on what the Spirit desires and live according to the Spirit. So in just a minute, what I'm, I'm going to suggest is that there's an opportunity to do that. I think there's 
also something that's come out of the kids group who've been um, praying and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to them. So, Dan, I'm going to pass over to you in a second, if that's all right, just to administer how we do that. But I wonder, can, can we just pray? Um, do something with your body that shows that you're in <laughs> to this prayer, uh, whether it's standing or kneeling or raising your arms or whatever. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we set our sights on how amazing you are and the wonderful things you do. How could we not want more of you? And humbly, not because we deserve it, but because you've generously offered, we say, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Holy Spirit, would you be free to change us? Would you be free to do what you like in us? And would you fill us to overflowing so that the world that desperately needs you also gets a taste of Jesus Christ through the overflow of the Holy Spirit from us? In the name of Jesus. Amen.